Hey, what's up? It is the Man Fuse Podcast. We are back in 2023. I am Kay Lee, audio producer, voice artist, your host, my co-host sitting next to me, one of my best friends, Ben H. What's up, everybody? Happy 2023. Yeah, your 2023 starting off good, Ben? Uh, it is, actually. It's starting out very good. It's, again, the continuation of Momentum. Correct. So, you know, we're in January. My new year doesn't start till April 1st. So that's I've still right. got a couple months to go. But that's, yeah, bro, 2023 is awesome. That's what you said on the last episode. Yeah. We were talking about that. A little update on myself. My brother has made it safely back Praise to Australia um, with his family. We miss him already. Yes. Today is going to be an awesome podcast, an awesome episode, because we are going to be joined in a few minutes by one of my friends. I've known him since I was 18 years old. I still have popping pimples on my face. His name is Dr. Jason Weeks. Now, when I met Jason, I was 18 and I was working as a body piercer at a tattoo shop. And one of the huge benefits, other than you know, having girls take their clothes off in front of me. I wasn't a creep. For an 18-year-old, that's pretty solid. Yeah, absolutely. Solid game. I had top-notch bedside manner, though. Anyway, so one of the awesome, you know, benefits to that job was that I got to meet so many people from all walks of life. And Dr. Jason Weeks wasn't a doctor at that time. He was studying to be a chiropractor at Life College here in Georgia. So, but a little background on Jason before we get him on. Jason served in Desert Storm. He's a Marine. He's a veteran. Nice. He's also coached numerous rugby teams. He used to play rugby. And these guys... Dude, rugby's a kick-ass game. Dude, these guys are beasts, dude. Yeah. They would go to, like, different countries and play, if my memory serves me right, and they would just just wish somebody would just step out of line towards them. There would be a bar fight. Well, they live a life of high-level physical contact. So, like, a fight with somebody who is just some drunk guy, it's a joke. Besides rugby, he currently trains in jiu-jitsu. He's played ice hockey. He's originally from Canada. We're going to talk about what he did during COVID, in my opinion. You said he's a doctor, right? He's a chiropractor. But what he did during COVID was the, it was capitalism at its finest. It was entrepreneurship Entrepreneurship. at its (laughs) finest. It was, you know what they say, you want to make money, you find a need and you fill it. Yeah. And he saw a need. And he filled it. And he's going to tell us a little bit about it. And then we're going to talk about some other things that are going on, um, some things that are alarming. And he's just going to offer a good perspective on things because he is a doctor and he does study the human body. Well, with humanity, there's always voids to be filled. That's what entrepreneurship is, is recognizing a need and filling that need, ultimately solving a problem. I think what so many people miss, dude is they don't think that they are capable of solving the problem, but they know the solution to the problem. Dr. Jason Weeks on with the Man Fuse podcast. What's up? How you guys doing? Man, we're doing great. So Ben, I have known Dr. Weeks since before he was a doctor. Yeah. I was just 18 years old. A young puppy. A young puppy. What year? I started working at Psycho Tattoo in I think 97. 97, okay. So Jason was still in school studying to be a chiropractor. And I think at that point, like when I needed an adjustment, I would go to your shitty apartment on Franklin Road. One of the great things about working where I worked was it just got me in front and the ability to meet so many different kinds of people on right. so, from so many different walks of life like you were going to life college you were coming in to get some work you yeah. had some friends there that you had made and so just yeah. through the relationships i worked there and so you know that's how and that's basically how you ended up in, with with this job really isn't it i mean uh, you know what so well sort of i mean without you know spending a, a great deal of time I decided when the market crashed in 08 and I was doing real estate with Ben that That's right. I was okay. like, oh, you and Ben did real estate together. Yeah, nice. we were, we were, yeah, we were trying to put big deals together and then the bubble burst and I was like, right. well, I'm bored. And I was like, I want to be on the radio. And so I called up this chick that used to be on the radio who I pierced and was like, I want to be on the radio. And she goes, I've been telling you that for years. She's like, I don't know if I can get you a job, but I can give you a name and you can go talk to him. And I went in there and I was like, when do I start? <laughs> like, 
I had to pay my dues, just like at the tattoo shop. I, I didn't get paid for years, almost, you know? And here we are with my very own podcast. God, have I grown. <laughs> so, Jason, like, I was... But Chris, sick- you got to understand something? So, let's take it back. So, I got here in 93. I got out of the Marine Corps. I was in Hawaii, and uh, I got... I wanted to stay there, and I was playing rugby. You know, I was growing my hair long. I'd been out for about eight months. When you get out of the military... You've got a year to the day that you get out to ship all your shit off the island or you're stuck there or you pay for it yourself. So I was in this this 12-month window of thinking that I was going to stay in Hawaii. I loved it there. I didn't have anything going on anywhere else, and I wanted to stay. I I fucking loved the surf, and I was enjoying Hawaii as a civilian instead of as a Marine, right? I'll let you read into that a little bit. Um, so I'm playing rugby at Copy Money Park, and this couple walks up to me and says, hey, uh, and I didn't look like all the Samoan boys I was banging with out there. And they said, what are you doing? I got some dreadlocks by then and some members of the sideburns and shit. Of course. The they walked up to me and they said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? And they were on, they had just graduated from life. They were a couple, and they were in-laws timeshare that was given to them as a graduation present for graduating from life. And they said, well, I played rugby at life on a scholarship and I just watched him play. You ever thought about being a chiropractor? And I went, I've been to a chiropractor, but I never thought about being a chiropractor. You can get a rugby scholarship there and you ought to think about it. And here's the information. And back then, dude, we're like, we're pre-internet. We're pre-email. Like this is 90, yeah, 92. So you had to apply for a admissions package by mail. Oh, wow. Like, I had to wait for it to come in the mail and shit. Like, that's how long we're going. Carrier right? pigeon. But that happened, and that's how I ended up in Atlanta. So I got here in 93, in August of 93. I think I walked into Psycho in 95. Okay. And met Parsons. Gotcha. And then you came along after. So I was in and out of there. Parsons ended up being a buddy of mine. Yeah. We connected a little bit, mm-hmm. right? So he was not just a, my tattooers, but a buddy. It's, yeah. a, it's a crazy web, bro. It is. And Ben served in Operation uh-huh. Iraqi Freedom. And so he's a veteran okay. also. Yeah. So, Ben, I was a Desert Storm guy. I was, uh, I, I went the first time around. I appreciate your service, man. And I, uh, you know, Desert Storm is an interesting conflict. I know a little bit about it because I was over there in OIF 1 and 2. Because we studied it, I was military intelligence and attached to the 3rd Infantry Division for the invasion for OIF-1 and 2. No, so I was in Heidelberg, Germany, and and I attached to the 3rd Infantry Division for the invasion from Kuwait into Iraq. We studied all the old battle maps from Desert Storm to determine our entry points. I did Task Force Ripper into Kuwait. Were you part of the sweep? Yeah, it was 1st Marine Division. We took El Jabber. On the way in, you ever see Jarhead? Yeah, I know Al Jabber too. Absolutely, so that Al was Jabber killer. Airfield, that was us. That um, was a big combat part of Desert that's Storm. The, that's the scene where the sniper tries to take the shot, and yeah. the, the major comes in and stands him down. Yeah. So the, the funny thing about that is that when I saw that movie, that scene is if it kept going in real time, that major tells him to stand down. The Harriers come in and bomb it. We had Cobra Escort right behind those Harriers, and we dropped the security platoons to secure that airfield. And the Harriers hit the airfield with CBUs. Which, that's a jet dropping bombs. The Harrier right? is a jet, and the CBUs are bombs. And then the Cobra Escorts rocketed some of the bunkers of some of the gun stations on that base. Yeah, and what he's talking so about is the Cobra helicopter and right? helicopter rockets. We landed the Marines into that to take that airfield. Nice. Um, so if that movie had kept going from that point where right. he stands the sniper down and he gets all pissed off. You guys were rolling in. Probably on the ground dropping through. <laughs> I was a 53 guy. That's so awesome. I was a gunner on a 53. I love it. I love uh, it. And what's a 53 so, uh, for us non- Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, CH-53, the big sea stallion, the big transport helicopter. Oh, no. It's so the Navy's transport. Yeah, it's the one that they take off from the ships. Right. At that point, I think we were as far north as Ross Tanura, Ross Elgar. We just kept going further and further north until we were right on the border, and then we just launched off the border. Well, I know you guys were disappointed when the stop order was submitted there for the back off. That was a big disappointment for a lot of people who were there. You guys had them in a situation where it would have been so easy at that point to just keep going. You know what's funny, though? That actually was Powell and Schwarzkopf's best decision they ever made. Leaving Saddam there 
was actually the best thing that they could have done. People don't understand that. He's the only one that can control those Shias and Sunnis. Dynamic wet. I know about that. Listen, (laughs) I know you do. Basically, what we did was we demilled him. Yeah. We took away every asset that he had, smashed him into the ground. Yeah. He had nothing. So now he's all no airspace. That was crazy. No nothing. And so now what's he going to do? He's no threat to us. Yeah. He's a threat to his own people because he lied to them and they believed it. Right. So, and we kind of needed them to believe it because they're nuts. And they fight each other no matter what. They so sure do. He was actually better for that country. I hate to say it because the guy was a bad dude, but they don't understand anything else. Right. That's, that's what they know. Yeah, I worked at Abu Ghraib for about three months Ooh. as an interrogator oh. of uh, Saddam <laughs> Fedayeen and Republic Guard. and Before or after everybody got balled up for... Uh, I was there before. The- I was there during that time. So that's when oh, I was really? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when I was Damn. there. But what people don't understand, man, is we had like... 300 soldiers and like 10,000 prisoners. And, you know, those MPs were doing some fucked up shit late night, you know what I mean, or whatever. A lot of us had no idea any of that stuff was going on. Really? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, as far as tough situation is concerned, you can imagine what the enemy wants to do to break out 10,000 soldiers, knowing that we only have, you know, three or 400 soldiers. People staffing it. Right. And it's all mixed. So it's, you know, we've got a ranger platoon. We got, you know, we got... You know, we got people from, you know, multiple different yes, units. People in from everywhere that are getting bullshit duty because they put a number up. Cook's TDY. <laughs> you got mechanics TDY that are just filling a billet. Dude, right? we had National Guard up in there from, like, yeah. Utah. We had a bu- what was the chick's what was the chick's name that got in all the trouble that like was making them stand naked? I don't and all remember. That, I don't remember. She was an MP private. You know the yeah. shit rolls downhill. Yeah, it's not like her staff officers didn't know what was going on. You know anybody's best guess. I guess the courts have decided yeah. what they decided. But I was there, and the reason I say that is to say that I was able to talk with a lot of these people directly, and it was their freedom ultimately on the line as I was talking to them and asking them questions, and so I got to know a lot of them really well, and it is a different mindset completely but a lot of them obviously were glad that we were there even the ones that were in Abu Ghraib well they weren't glad to be at Abu Ghraib but the story was hey we're happy that the Americans are here this that and the other thing but no we would go out and pick up entire streets full of people you know whole neighborhood basically and wow yeah and that's why we had so many prisoners we were picking up everybody interrogating everybody I mean it was tense how long were they being held when you swept them up like that it would depend I mean you know we would try to process them in and out as quickly as possible three weeks to a month god i'd be pissed the hell off yeah so you're really creating the enemy honestly you're you're manufacturing the enemy yeah we're good at that <laughs> One of the frustrating things of serving in combat is when you're doing things and you see what's happened and it's not what you thought it was, but you still have to follow orders and still have to be with the mission yep. and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, I kind of see the bigger picture now and I don't really like it because, you right. know, my buddies are getting killed out here. We're supposed to be we're supposed to be doing things that don't get our guys killed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we got lucky. I mean, I, so our conflict was six days. I mean, we sat longer than we thought and. They let the Marines off the leash and everybody else, and it was over quickly. Uh, you're right. We wanted to go all the way, but in looking back in hindsight, right, they made the right call. You're one of the few people that got to run like a sick mission in there and get one in. You got one in. No, we were lucky, man. Like <laughs> the aviation side, it's all about your uh, uh, maintenance stuff. So if you got up airplanes, you get the frags. That's right. Man. So we got lucky in that regard. We had a good maintenance record. I was a hustler over there. So if you needed anything, I was me too, that. man. I was that it guy didn't too. Matter if it was a woman, didn't matter if it was some liquor. <laughs> it didn't matter if it was a mattress. Um, I stole, dude. I stole Embarks's boxes full of shit that I didn't even know what was in them, just to find out what was in them to see if I could trade it for something. Dude, I was a hustling motherfucker, man. Hey, I thank yeah. you both of you guys for your service, but I, we could probably talk about this for another hour. Yeah, but we could. So I was telling you, Ben, we were talking the other day and talking about COVID because I hadn't spoken with Jason in nearly ten years or longer, and he was telling me that during the lockdown, you know, they were sitting around because people. People weren't going in for physicals. People weren't going to get adjusted. And so Jason was sitting there going, what the fuck? We need to get people into our business, right? So so the, the good thing for us was they didn't shut us down. We were essential, but everybody was under a rock. And everybody was scared to go out and wear masks and all that stuff. So, yeah, the office stayed open, but... You know, the patient volume went down and we're in the car accident business for the most part, right? So there were nobody on the roads. So the accident volume went down. So the office got quiet. The first thing that popped up was the first bit of testing that was available to the public was antibody testing. And that's where they prick your finger and they test for antibodies, right? right? Well, 
that's not an effective test for an acute infection. So you can't tell if you have it. it you can tell that you had it. Correct. Right? It. But that was the only rapid test that was on the market at the time. We ordered a bunch of those. We put out an email blast to all our patients and we said, hey, we're doing rapid testing here. And I'll be honest with you, we didn't really understand it. We knew what the test was. We understood the premise of antibody testing, but the timeline was really fuzzy. And by timeline, I mean, there were two separate antibodies that would test and one meant that you had an active infection, but that wouldn't show up for probably 10 days into your actual infection cycle. Right. And then the second one, IgG and IgM. So one of the IgGs, what the IgG told you that you had an active infection going on. All right. That wouldn't show up about 10 days in. So just because you were IgG didn't mean you were acutely infected. It meant that you were about 10 days into the site. So we had people that were asymptomatic, but were popping antibodies. Right. And that was really the best position that you could be in because if you didn't know it you weren't sick anyway we started doing the antibody testing because it's the only rapid test available and bro we went viral right so now my office is full of antibody testing patients they're coming in we're charging 40 bucks my chiro patients that were willing to come in are now looking over their shoulder going what the fuck are all these people doing here <laughs> and you got to understand this is in the beginning when everybody was terrified right so fear we're trying to lure People were crazy. Crazy. And so we would give them instructions. This is how it went. We'd give them instructions and we'd say, okay, here's an online appointment calendar. Gotcha. Book your appointment. We're booking appointments every five minutes because the test takes two minutes. We were setting five minute increments and we're packed. So I put it out to my own patients. My own patients started putting it out. And the next thing you know, I'm my days are booking out completely and they're not even my patients. They're people that just want to come in and get tested. Some of them are curious. Some of them are sick. When they book their appointment, they get an, an automated text that would give them instructions that would say, text us when you get here. We'll tell you when to come in. That was our way of trying to keep people away from each other as much as we could. And dude, people don't follow instructions. <laughs> they walk into the office and then they get mad that there were people in the office so that they could come in and get a test without being exposed to anybody else. And I'm like, follow the fucking instructions, you fucking jerk off go, what's wrong with you coming in here giving my staff a hard time yeah we're exposed to you dickhead <laughs> you know i'm trying to help you and now you're yelling at my staff yeah so get the fuck out <laughs> you can't talk to me like that and i'm like yes i can get the fuck out because i was dealing with that all day and now i got a problem because now my chiro patients are going i'm not fucking going back in there there's all these people here and they're some of them are sick or they might be sick or they're getting tested. Yeah, I'm going to get tested and, and I'm catching COVID. <laughs> and, right. Dude. And meanwhile, we're doing 120 tests a day and we're making good money. So right. and I'm not afraid of it. Maybe I was too stupid to be afraid of it in the beginning. I'm making money and I'm helping people mm -hmm. and I'm providing a service that nobody else has access to. I mean, we were doing it before anybody. The hospitals were barely doing antigen testing yet. That was a nightmare because the only people that could get anywhere near the hospital for a test, really, really sick people. Right. right. I remember our associate doctor here had a heart palpitation one day. I threw her in my truck. I took her to the little Wellstar Urgent Care. We walked her in. They put a 12 lead on her and she had an arrhythmia. So they said, here's a pass to the ER. Take her to Kennestone. We go whipping over there. And this is pre-COVID. This is right as COVID was hitting and nobody knew it. And I walk her into the hospital and I remember looking in the waiting room and it was overflowing. She's a heart patient and they're expecting her. So they take her right in and triage. And I'm standing in the front hall at Kennestone and I look over in the waiting room and there's people shivering. There's a family. They had this white sheet over top of them and the sheet was just shaking. Wow. And I'm looking around and I'm like, Holy shit, dude. Did it That's look like nuts. something out of Outbreak, um, the movie? Yes, yes. But no one knew what COVID was. Right. COVID wasn't a thing. Nobody knew the word. Nobody knew anything. But that was fucking COVID. They were sick. This yeah, was I got normal. sick like September or something. No, it was uh, December. No, I well, got sick in September, though, before uh, COVID-19. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I got it's sick early. To, like, it's such a blur for me, like the calendar and stuff, because it's 2022. Like, wasn't it early, like January of 20 when it hit? Yeah, yeah, basically. This was December of 19. Like November of 19, it yes. was being discussed and talked about. And right. it was but, this but thing no and it was coming it. here. And 
Right. It was known in China that there was a virus that Correct. was spreading. Correct. Trump so, shut so down travel. And, going. You know. <laughs> I walk into this ER and I don't know anything about COVID, never heard of it. Yeah. But I look at the thing and I look at her and she's like sitting in a chair getting a getting a workup. And I look at her and I'm like, and they're saying, sir, you can't stand there. You, you got to go sit down. And I'm like, I'm not fucking going in there. I'm like, no fucking well, way. Dude, a lot of people got sick early. They really did. A lot well, of people got they, sick early. It was here they before they said it. Correct. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is that I knew that that was fucked up. Yep. And I knew that I wasn't going in there and sitting next to somebody that had a sheet over him and the sheet was trembling. Right. I'm like, I said, Shaniqua, call me when you need me. I'm fucking back. I'm out. I'm out. Done. I ain't yeah. going in there. I'm not sick. I ain't getting sick. And I'm sorry you're going through a hard thing, but. <laughs> you're yeah. on your own. So, <laughs> I called her husband and she had us today, you know, yeah. but he had kids. He was at home with the kids. COVID fucked him. Yeah. The husband comes home. And the wife stuffs him in, a, in the basement, throws the fucking plate of food under the door and won't let him come up. And, dude, families were looking at each other sideways and shit. And oh, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. The level of sensitivity um, to it, you know, initially it was treated like it was Ebola or something like 20% or 10% of everybody that got it was just going to fall dead in the street. They had all the videos from China where like oh, people yeah, like dude. falling over in the street and yeah, shit. But, I mean, yeah, it was it was promoted as this like vicious but, thing. Dude, but here's the thing. That's exactly what they wanted. That, yeah, Looking absolutely. Back on it, that's exactly what they intended. Yep. They were perfectly happy to have that happen. Dude, I agree. It was intentional. Then you said, all right, fuck it. And you expanded. You rented out the space next door to your practice. So, so that's where we ended up, right? So now I got a problem because now I got more COVID testing patients than Cairo patients. That wasn't the plan. I was trying to do a service, make people feel comfortable about coming to the office and basically throwing in the fucking antibody test to get my business back up and running. It got to a point where my business was suffering because I had too many, but I was making money. So my partner and I said, hey man, there's too much money coming through the door. Three units down from our office in our, in our shopping center, we're on Windy Hill in Marietta. We called our uh, property manager. And we said, hey, there's an empty unit. We'd like to take it. We're not signing a lease because we don't know how long this is gonna last. And we went month to month. He rented it to us for 800 bucks. It had sat uh, empty for months and we set up shop. That's and awesome. we had it open probably within two weeks. That's capitalism and, right there. It's awesome. And it ended up being a lap. So we got CLIA certified. We started antigen testing eventually rolled around. So now we can really help people because now we can do antigen. And antigen will tell you if you got it. Antigen will get you on an airplane. Yeah. Antigen will PCR. We went full board. We expanded as we went. And next test that was available, we jumped on it. We ordered them. We got them going. So it got to be where we had this giant menu. We had antibody testing, we had antigen testing, we had PCR testing, all rapid. So we could do anything and we could do same day, same day results. You'd get a report sent out, CLIA stamp on it if you need to go international travel. So out of the blue, Cobb Labor Department hits us up and they're like, you need to be reporting. Reporting what? <laughs> they're like, the results. We're like, what do you mean? I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. Right. We figured out right. what to do. So it was a process. But in the beginning, it was like, report what it was mandated we had to put a sign on the wall saying hey if you get tested here like we have to report your negative or positive result and a lot of people were like sketched like they didn't want anybody knowing they wanted a database well it was all about skip tracing let me ask you this when you say yeah. reporting they require the name of the person attached to oh, the result name address dude. phone number yeah fucking fuck everything dude they and, wanted to know so, where that person was so we're providers right so what's our first question when Dr. Janet Meemark, she's the Cobb Public Health Director, and she calls me and says, you need to start reporting, and you need to do it now. You're federally mandated. I'm like, okay, right on. We'll do what we got to do, but what about HIPAA? She goes, K-Rack, HIPAA doesn't apply. Privacy protection. So I can't legally supply anybody's health information or personal information without written permission, and we weren't doing HIPAA. So we weren't having a release sign, man. We were just testing them and sending them on their way. Right. Giving them a report. Right. So now I'm like, well, what about HIPAA? HIPAA's exempt. So what's the difference between like a patient who is protected under HIPAA and one that is not? As a provider, I have a federal obligation to protect your privacy if you're under my clinical care. Okay. Personal protection. I, right. I really don't even know. It's just HIPAA, right? Yeah. But HIPAA says that if you come into my office... I don't share your clinical information or personal information with anyone without your written consent and your right. direct written consent. Right. So unless you've signed a document that says, I give Dr. Weeks and his clinic. Yeah. You got to sign something 
giving you permission to release the information. Right. So the immediate thing is if I've got the, the Cobb County public health director right. calling so you me, telling me that I have to share information. It's like, Hey lady, HIPAA is bigger than Cobb County. I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What yeah. about HIPAA? And she right. said, HIPAA doesn't apply. And I'm like, I need that in writing. Yeah. Now, yeah. Okay. I'll I get it report, now. now I get it. Got but it. I'm not reporting until I know that I'm legally allowed to report. Yeah. And she was right. There was a federal by then they, they had gotten it. out with all the federal mandating again. It was all about skip tracing. Yeah. They wanted information so that they could skip trace. Which, dude, is some creepy shit to do for a cold. (laughs) Yeah. Or the flu. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to skip trace your ass. No, right? COVID's real. I'm treating patients. I'm in and out of my my lab all day long. Right. There's people testing positive. Yeah. And I didn't get it. So I'm like there was all the stuff about O negative blood and blood typing and stuff. And I was really sold on the fact that O negative was very resistant and I'm O negative. Mm. Right. And you know, this Ben O negative is the, the rarest, yeah, it it's is the universal donor. That's right. Um, but I can only accept O negative. Mm-hmm. So I'm the guy that can fucking help everybody out, but I That's can right. only receive O negative. So in the military fucking, they used to come and tell us who in our unit, you, you, and you get to fucking know each other. That's right. Cause if something goes down, you're saving his life or vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So that made it more difficult to penetrate, and it really was looking data-wise because I would start anecdotally asking, and then I started asking routinely. So I started getting really into the data in the lab. Mm-hmm. I, now, again, we were making money. I was probably doing about 120 tests a day average. Wow. That's not by no stretches that the big labs that were doing thousands of tests a day, tens sure. of thousands of tests a day. That's that a lot of people to do that. You know, hospitals, all that shit. Right. Yeah. But I felt like I had a pretty good data set of my community, at least in regards to positive percentages in regards to antibody testing. And I started kind of getting deeper into it and started like, okay, well, wait a minute. What if there is something to this, uh, to this blood typing? Is it in fact, and it turned out that was in fact a thing. So we would just, so I started anecdotally asking when I was in and out of there, if somebody was negative, I'd say, what's your blood type? A lot of people don't know their blood type. If you're military, you have to know it. We all know that, Ben, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of people have no idea. So guess what that led to? Blood we, we ordered blood typing kits because that was another source of revenue. People wanted to know what their blood type was. Well, now's the time to know, right? So we'd sell them a fucking $60 blood type kit. Right. Just so that they would know. A lot of it was just morbid curiosity. Why am I antibody positive and I didn't get sick? A lot of that. A lot of that. Okay, well, what blood type are you? Oh, you're O negative. That's interesting. So you're antibody positive, which means you've been exposed. You're negative for active antigen COVID, but you're antibody positive, which means you've either had it or you've been exposed to it and you didn't get symptoms and your blood type's O negative or O something. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was going on. So when people were surmising and coming up with their own stuff, I was looking at real data and at least my, and again, this is my opinion. I saw what I saw. So here's another interesting data set. In 2020, when we started, so I think we started testing in April or May of 20, right? And probably through September, we were doing antibody only. And then in September, they started releasing uh, rapid antigens that were available on the market. And boom, the second they were available, boom, we got them. And boom, now we're offering more services. And by that time, I think I was in the standalone lab. Now I've got an actual data set to look at for the remainder of 2020. And this is what made it real. It didn't matter if I saw 10 tests a day, 100 tests a day, or 50 tests a day. The positive percentage was constant, which was really strange to me. Yeah, why is that? Is that that's to do with the tests, right? It stayed at 6%. It never went above it. Wouldn't that indicate a, a faulty test? Well, then you look at symptomatic. The majority of people that were coming in and testing positive were sick. Yeah. So no, not really. Okay. Maybe here and there. Right. But most of the people that were testing positive knew they were going to test positive or were scared they were going to test positive. Yeah. And did. That make sense? Absolutely. That's 20. I'd say about April of 21, that data set changed. And now all of a sudden it was 14%. Uh-huh. These are real numbers. And again, I'm doing five, 600 tests a week probably, but the numbers stayed the same. Those are huge numbers. Here's the thing. Well, are they? 
6% really isn't that big of a deal. We're closing down for 6% of the population. Fuck oh, that, I, dude. I agree with you there. I'm just saying if there's like a high mortality rate, that could be a lot of bodies, which ultimately it was, right? How many of those 6% a day are dying? Yeah, exactly. So 0.00001. Were people dying? Absolutely. Listen, man, COVID's real. You will not pin me down to say, oh, it's a hoax. I was watching it in real time, but I was watching real numbers from a real data set. I'll go back to it again and reinforce it because there's people are going to listen to this podcast and they're numbers guys or they're CDC or whatever. I saw what I saw. Now, I believe that I had a good bead on what was going on in my community based on the numbers that I was seeing, even though. In the big picture of things, that's not a big number. Right. Jumps up to 14% six months later, there's something to that. Right. Here's the interesting thing. I worked with bigger labs. So the PCR testing was the next step. So it went antibody, antigen, and then it was rapid PCR. There was always PCR testing available, but rapid PCR was the next thing that I could do. Right. So as soon as that became available, we added that in and the percentages stayed the same. It didn't matter what test was. There was a lot of talk about PCR being corrupt. So let's take a step back from that. Then you had this, the phenomenon with the flu numbers. And the antigen test and the PCR test did not have the ability to determine flu versus COVID. So that's where the flu number went. And that's very interesting. And I think the manipulation of the media and the messaging and the narrative you know, people can handle the truth, right? If the truth is that you can't tell, fine, report that. But, you know, the whole thing is like, oh, the flu's just gone. Don't worry about it. It's like, what? Well, anybody that thinks that the flu just disappeared overnight when it's been around for fucking a century yeah. or more is not thinking critically. It's bananas. And there's so much about this that's bananas. I've stopped having any empathy. We can get it into the vaccine conversation because I think we're kind of on our way to that. I was just blown away by just the entrepreneurship, having the execution to pull off that. You saw a need, you fill it. So just for time purposes, there's a lot going on right now with our athletes. This latest uh, football player that um, got hit in the chest and went into cardiac arrest. Ben sent me some audio. We have a player down on the court. We'll try to get more information. Johnson taken out on a stretcher and rushed to local Tallahassee Memorial Hospital. Leading cardiologist says cluster of collapses in footballers likely to be just a coincidence, a terrible coincidence at that, but just a coincidence. Yes, just a coincidence. One of their high school football players died. 17-year-old Everest Romney, he had two blood clots inside his brain. Doctors baffled after 16-year-old football player and wrestler suffers a stroke and blood clot in his brain. 17-year-old high school student dies suddenly after suffering critical medical emergency during flag football games. 16-year-old high school football player collapses and dies after suffering medical emergency during practice. Family and doctors are baffled by the sudden and unexplained death of a 16-year-old Stanford high school football player. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin in critical condition after collapsing on the field during the game. He was administered CPR before being taken away in an ambulance. 12-year-old Jason Kidd collapsed during warm-ups at basketball practice. He died a short time later. A South Carolina high school football player has died after collapsing at football practice. Isaiah Turner died yesterday following a, quote, sudden catastrophic medical event. 17-year-old Philip Laster Jr. collapsed while practicing football on Monday. A 16-year-old student from West Catholic Preparatory High School collapsed while warming up for a scrimmage in Chester County. Two young athletes, the latest to die suddenly watch the videos get longer and longer of athletes dropping dropping on the basketball court the soccer field the hockey rink there isn't anybody that now doesn't know of someone that's dropped dead of this okay i'll give you four examples right now of my personal connection to this very thing i mean this is the real tragedy of COVID. this is in my opinion so listen in my opinion and i saw it dude i'm gonna tell you this we've all been ostracized and accused of fucking being irresponsible and how dare you it's your civic duty to fucking get vaccinated and whatever right. okay well i ask questions i think critically that's right but Read this data. is my opinion i'm not gonna frame it i'm not a specialist i'm not a public health specialist i'm not a fucking pathologist i'm a chiropractor so i know my place that's right but i'm not an idiot 
I'm a realtor and I saw the shit clear as day. They're not an idiot, right? You know what I'm saying? Some of us are capable of critical thinking and this got political, this got fucking personal, but let's look at facts. I went to a Memorial Golf Tournament last Monday for a Canadian kid whose father and mother went to life with me and I played hockey with Ross Jeske and his wife Val. They graduated, they moved back to Canada. Their son was born here in Marietta while they were going to school. He went back to Canada. He grew up in Calgary. He played junior hockey up there. So he played in the uh, WHL, I think. So mm-hmm. juniors, but high-level, semi-pro, right. on his way to the pros. Big time. 27 years old. He was good enough to get a scholarship at University of Wisconsin. So he went to Eau Claire or wherever that school is up in Wisconsin, played college hockey, came down to Atlanta to play hockey at Life and to go to school to become a chiropractor just like his dad, Jacob Jeske. Look it up. You can Google him now and fucking confirm it. He's probably passed two months ago now. That's oh, wow. Dude. So this kid's a professional hockey player. He played right. in college. A badass. He's, a, he's an athlete. He's right. an elite NCAA athlete. You guys know the cooler? Yeah. Yeah. So he's in Alpharetta playing hockey in the Wednesday night skate, which is the pro skate. You're only allowed if you've played at a high level. He goes out for his skate. He plays his game. And he FaceTimes his dad in, in Calgary on the way home. And he says, Dad, my fucking chest is a little tight. I think I need to fucking ask the fucking Starbucks before the game. So his dad goes, okay, well, you okay? He's like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a little weird. But, you know, I'll be all right. Good to talk to you. I love you, Dad. Good night. He goes to bed. And his girlfriend, who's in Calgary, starts calling in the morning. And he's not answering his phone. Shit. And won't pick up his phone. Won't pick up his phone. She starts getting a little nervous. She calls the roommate. Jacob's not answering. He goes, yeah, I thought it was funny he didn't come out of his room this morning. She goes, I need you to go check on him. He's fucking dead. And he got vaccinated, I assume. He was in Canada, and you couldn't walk into a rink in Canada without a vaccine. So the Canadians fucking, and look at them. Look at their stats. They're dropping dead left and fucking right. Here's another story. COVID hits. They shut down all the rinks. Canadian kid comes down, plays juniors with some of the kids that I coached at my rink here locally that are playing juniors now. Kept on the ice. Connor decided to go wrestle, and he's wrestling in college now. And he's a badass, by the way. Canada shuts down, so a couple of kids come down from Ontario to get ice time and to play hockey, so they fucking join this team. Then Canada opens back up, so the kid says, hey, man, I'm out. I'm going home. I'm going to go back to play at home. Got to be vaccinated to get in the rink. Yep. Fucking kid drops dead a month after he leaves here. Fuck, dude. He's fucking, that kid's 18 years old. COVID was a little different. Not everybody knows someone that died from COVID. I know a lot of people do. I'm not denying that people died of COVID. There were people that were fucking immunosuppressed. There were people that had comorbidities. COVID killed people. There's no doubt it was real. But then what was killing them? Remdesivir? Yeah. And, and that, ventilators? Okay. Were they trying to kill them because they were being bonused? Just said something very important as it pertains to this question. This is an open question to anybody listening, too. Because I really want to know. And up to this point, and I ask a lot of people this question. Do you know anyone who died from COVID at home? <laughs> good, good fucking question. At though. home. It, do you, have you even heard of anyone dying good at home? Good fucking question. Remdesivir is what was killing people in hospitals. Look it up. Well, that invents. People wouldn't get off the vent. The ventilator was first. kept them on the vent. Remdesivir and the vent. But it wasn't the vent on its own. It was remdesivir. Do you remember, and I brought this up a couple episodes back or whatever, when um, Cuomo was uh, in front of that wall of ventilators yeah, dude, pleading with ridiculous. the world to get him more ventilators. Bro, oh, just think, fucking piece of shit. Just think, just <laughs> think, just think of the people. Him. I'm surprised he didn't run him for president. All these big fucking heroes have just fucking dis-a-fucking-peered. So to that question, I mean... Do you know of anyone who died at home? Have you heard of that? Bro, that's a goddamn good question. Sorry <laughs> like that, but holy shit. Just like the story you just told about the vaccine, we don't have any stories about that from people with COVID. Everybody died alone without their family member in the hospital with Correct. COVID. Alone. And, Couldn't and talk to the did, doctor. No choice of drugs. Took a big fucking bonus. 40 dude. G's, right? Oh, it was like 21,000 or something, bro. There's all kinds of numbers floating around. The number I had, just don't quote me on it, I heard it was a $21,000 deal for putting them on the vent or something. And then an even bigger one for the remdesivir with it. My uncle got it. And this is my uncle by marriage to my dad's sister. 
So this is not a blood relative. It's a married married relative. Uh, my father's passed away years ago in a plane crash. His sister's the surviving aunt. She's got a immunocompromised husband, diabetic, all the comorbidities, COPD, everything. Smoked for years. So he's high risk for COVID. She was terrified the whole time. He finally gets it. And she calls me and says, hey, I know you're, you know stuff. What's going on? And I said, do not. He was hospitalized at that point. Breathing, the COPD was bad. To be honest with you, I'm shocked he made it. I said, Louise, do not let them put him on remdesivir. They're doing that now. And I said, stop. Oh, my God. Stop wow. them. He'll be dead in two days. Wow. Get him out of there. Do not give them permission. And she said, oh, my God, I'll call you back. And she stopped it. And some people aren't strong enough to stop it. Some people are just going to hope for the best. And well, not only that. Doctors telling them, giving them good advice. Some people's, some people's family members weren't allowed in and and to, make that call. to discuss Bro, the protocol. So my aunt, they weren't even to told. This day, and this is two years ago now, says, Jason, you saved his life. Yeah. Damn. And I said, Louise, I will look you in the eye and take credit for saving his life. It's I know true, I dude. I asked you this question the other day when we were not on mic and recording. I said, Mr. Weeks, I said, you believe this was created in a lab, right? And you said, without a doubt, 100%. We'll never know. I, guess, I, I mean, think we'll know one day. You think? I know. Yeah. I know. And I think there's going to be accountability. Right. And I know who they are. And I'll never forgive them forever. Fuck them forever is how I feel. That's the irony now, right? We're not the only ones that know. There's a lot of people yeah. had to change their tune now, right? And they want the story to just go away. No, hey, fuck Pandemic you. amnesty, you know? right? Told me that I should be in jail because I wasn't exactly. fucking doing my civic duty. You yeah. told me that I was being irresponsible for not vaccinating my children. You know what you did? You fucking sterilized your kids. Wait till the Dude, fucking for sure. fertility fucking 100%. numbers come out. Data set isn't available yet. That's right. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you, man. I don't mind the bloodlines fucking terminating. You fucking, you <laughs> thought that that was in your best interest? You uh, just fucking sterilized your bloodline. I couldn't agree with you more, but I think there has to be room, and I and I think that there is room for people to come and say, listen, I was fucking, I was tricked by the this. I thought one way. I fucking, I was wrong. I I didn't realize this. People were telling me, you know, I want to apologize, and but, I want to be man. on the other side now. I think there's room for that, but I don't, I mean, it's happening, but not at the rate it should be. I was you know just going to say, how many people have actually come forward and said, I'm sorry. Few. You were right. Very few. And it's always private. Very fucking few yeah very fucking none few. publicly dude and you know what's funny they almost can't at this point because they went so fucking deep yeah i was about to say 99 percent of them are not willing there's a few out there that have said yeah man fucking i regret doing that or yeah man i fucking wish i'd have known more or actually you were right i wish i'd have listened have you heard that look at what's going on with the football three. player hamlin so look at the dialogue it's cognitive dissonance comid uh comedy blood trauma to the chest really what you believe no hell no dude i mean it wasn't even that big of a hit bro i mean, I mean he got up he popped right up afterwards fucking football hit. i played football dude that was that not was a, a massive routine hit. fucking yeah. tackle i yeah. played rugby that was a routine football tackle with chest pads they turned there was impact with a twist that was not anywhere close to the clinical parameters to that diagnosis they have to have an out because they haven't given anyone else an out and they're too deep and they have to disassociate because they would have to admit that they were fucking wrong. And nobody's willing to admit that they were wrong. Jason, what do you think they're going to find if Elon Musk dumps those Twitter files with Fauci? I mean, that's any second. We were briefly talking about that also. Dude, there is going to be accountability for this shit. And that's why people need to come forward and say, bro. Yeah, but Ben, is there? I think there is, bro. I do. I, I mean, have to I, believe listen, it, dude. I've been hopeful of a lot of things in the last years, whether it was political well, or anything else. And been sure that accountability was coming. I hope it happens, but I'm not holding my fucking breath, dude. I hear you, man. You know, ultimately, you know, I'm an optimistic person and I believe in freedom. Let's take one step back. Bill Gates has been telling us to our face since the 80s that he was going to reduce the population and he was going to use vaccines to do it. He lectured the CIA. He lectured fucking WHO. The lectures are out there. He said it to the camera. Right. The population needs to be here. His father was a eugenicist. He said that vaccine was the fucking way he intended to fucking reduce the population. He got kicked out of India. He got kicked out of Africa. 
He's done what he said he intended to do. He's done it on a global scale now, and people fucking don't don't want to believe it. Those things happen. Those are facts. You can't get any closer to the truth when he said it to the camera and the fucking videos are out there. They're right. scrubbing them now. Right. What do you think the Fauci files are going to show? Fauci was telling his family that masks didn't work and not to bother with them. Fauci was telling people to take ivermectin and fucking HCQ. He was, yeah, then he it told was no ivermectin. Well, Fauci, fucking white. Fauci came on and said, wear a mask. Then he came on and said, don't wear a mask. Then he came back on and said, wear two masks. Yeah, but while he was going on telling people to wear masks, he was telling his family and friends not to. Yeah, and that was the puppet show. That was to exert control. How much control do we really have is the way I began to see the situation. Let's test it. Yeah, we're testing it. And if that was the test, what's coming down the pipe? Now they've fine-tuned it. Now they know what they can do. Now they know what people will fucking bend and fucking exactly. go running to the fucking, to suck the tit. It's true. And <laughs> fucking do what they're told. And dude, look at what Trudeau's gotten away with in fucking Canada. I grew up in Toronto. Yeah. Dude, I left Canada in 89 and I wouldn't even, think, first of all, I can't go back because I'm fucking a gangster and fucking, I got all kinds of fucking. <laughs> well, he's a stated World Economic Forum leader. He's, he's Klaus Schwab's little fucking That's boy. That's right. And Biden is, you know, walking around Klaus Schwab with the fucking Star Trek shirt on. My orthopedic surgeon, he's the guy I refer all my business to. He's done Connor surgery. He's done mine. He goes and speaks at all the big, um, he trains the fellows at Emory, right? Right. When he speaks at these, you know, big symposiums and stuff uh, and conventions, Canadian doctors don't even know what it's like to do a, a repair that's a week old. Mm. And that's all Karis does. Treats athletes, rip their patella tendon, they go down, and within a week they're having surgery right. in our system. In Canada, the surgeons have to know how to fucking repair something that's atrophied for two years. Jeez. Do their repairs. Wow. So they've got better health care? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Just gave up your guns. 90% of you got vaccinated because daddy told you to. That's right. Look what he did with the fucking uh, trucker caravan. That's right. He took all their money. He shut that whole thing down. He had his fucking RCMP stomping on him on, with horses and shit. <laughs> they suck it the fuck up. They're on the tit. I have a Canadian education through high school. While the whole thing happened here, and when they were initiating policies and initiating things, I was so surprised that people were so compliant. I mean, it was a big surprise to me that people were so compliant. And I kind of have a syndrome. I think everybody thinks like me. I don't know what they call that, but... I'm the shit syndrome? No, <laughs> no I just no, think just that fine. what makes sense to me just mm. makes sense, you no, know? No, but that's not I think true if, at if all. if I can see it, then everybody must be able to see it. No. But that's not the case. No. You know what I'm saying? No. But I could see that shit, dude. The guy that just stole the election in Brazil, World Economic Forum puppet. And the thing is that if they can steal an election once and they can get into power, will they ever be taken out. That's the fucking scary thing, dude. Canadians have fucking kept that guy in through three election cycles. That's they right. deserve what they're getting. I have no sympathy for them at all. You know, it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this whole thing of conservative versus liberal. Everybody complains about the two-party system we have. They have got a, like a five-party system, yeah. so they have to collectively fucking cut deals during the election process based on numbers to form a fucking majority. Right. So they're cutting deals with fucking the devil just to fucking get in power and claim the actual prime ministers. Canada's divided. Western Canada, they need to secede and just fucking become the 50th state. As a right. matter of fact, what really needs to happen is we just need to push the border fucking 100 miles and we'll own Canada anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Canada's Tim Horton Donuts and fucking uh, Timmy's. They'd be so happy. <laughs> be fucking glad that we were there. The liberals in fucking Toronto and, and Ontario will fucking scream like little bitches because they can't because they don't have guns. They hate us for having guns. All they'd be able to do is watch us fucking steamroll them. Yeah. I know that you are, uh, you currently still train jujitsu. Do you still? I still have my black belt. Congratulations. In uh, November. Do you keep up with a lot of these athletes, these fighters these days? What do you think about what's been happening with Andrew Tate in Romania? Do you have an opinion on that? I don't think anybody has any question marks about where my politics lie. Right. But that's one I, that's so, if he's doing what they said he was doing, they need to grab him and do what they got to do. But he called it, bro. And yeah, if you did. don't take a second look at that, you know, did he say some fucking out there things? Yeah, but he was fucking looking for foulers and fucking trying to get attention and any right. attention is good attention. Yeah. Some of it was a little much. I mean, if the guy's actually guilty of what they're saying, but he said the Matrix is coming. I'm not killing myself. That's right. And everything he said happened. So, true. I mean, hey, man, look, you got Epstein... Gislin, none of that's above board. Is she really even in fucking prison? Where's the list? What about Tupac or Biggie? Love to know that Tupac's still around. Yeah, me too, man. That would be awesome. What's your opinion on the Paul brothers? I'm not impressed. 
You're not? I've been to two of their Triller events. I'm close friends with Frank Mir, and so when Mir fought, like, he fought that boxer here on the card at Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz, uh-huh. and we were next to the Jake Paul suite. He fought Ben Askren and knocked Ben Askren out that night in Atlanta. Okay. Oh, nice. I met all his family. They gave all the fighters club booths at Mercedes-Benz, uh-huh. and the Paul booth was a double booth next to us, and the Mir family was in, in the booth, in our booth. Uh, that was funny. I watched uh, De La Hoya. I watched him doing blow in the fucking hallway. I'd- no way. <laughs> you heard that here on the Manfuse podcast. The guy, I mean, what's he going to do? The moth to the flame. No shit. Who was he supposed to fight where he backed out? You know Jake Paul's big, giant fucking robot? Yeah. That thing is like walking down the hallway between the booths. He actually came in our fucking thing. My old lady was fucking freaking because she's like rubbing up on the giant like transformer robot. The thing's fucking cool, actually. What? Um, as that robot's walking up and down, Dave LaHoya is fucking standing on the railing and he's talking and he's got a bag in his fucking hand and he's fucking doing key bumps out of it. And I'm like, holy shit. That's crazy. So what does this robot do? But listen, I heard he had a coke problem, but I never expected that he'd be doing coke in fucking front of like everybody. Right. I mean, people had cameras out. And he went down to the Triller booth and he was talking shit about Frank Mir. Oh, he's not training. Da, 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 da. He's going to get beat. Da, da, da. And I think Frank lost that fight to a decision. It was a pretty decent boxer. Frank held his own. You know, Frank's getting a little older and fucking was, you know, taking, taking those Triller fights for the money. Got paid well. And then Jake Paul fought Askren. Am I impressed with their antics and their come up? Not at all. It's great for them. They're making money and, you know, they figured it out, but I don't like them. Damn, that robot is, what is that robot do? That's crazy. I've never heard of the robot. Did you Google it? Yeah. Dude, I mean, it's like a giant fucking live transformer. It's just a big fucking marketing thing, I guess. It's it's like a big exoskeleton. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, I know the Pauls are a bit obnoxious. Was it the older brother that got the WWE contract? I personally was impressed when I saw, was it SummerSlam? And I watched, and I'd never seen one of these Paul brothers perform as a WWE wrestler. We all know it's fake, but what those guys do isn't necessarily fake. And I was impressed because I was like, damn, that dude's an athlete. He was yeah, doing I'm some... more impressed by guys that fucking train jujitsu and can fucking choke the life out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I get that too. He's not beating Anderson Silva if jujitsu's on the table. No. Correct. No. Or there's no way. For that or he's not beating anybody if jujitsu's on well, the table. Well, maybe someone. I mean, he's an athlete. He well, can he, train it. He right? beat but me, right? Yeah, I mean, he beat like... my ass. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Listen, man, the guy's undefeated or whatever. I won't spend money on that stuff. I'll watch it on YouTube if it comes up. I'm unimpressed by the, you know, is he training for real? Yes. Is he a decent athlete? Probably. You know, any fucking 25-year-old kid, if they train, is going to get reasonably decent eventually. Right. Absolutely. Rumors about diving and the contract. I mean, Tyrone Woodley twice and taking the, I mean, I don't know. Bro. There's a lot of key things that add up to it being bullshit. I'm 52 years old. If somebody came up to me right now and said, fucking, I'll give you a fucking five million to fucking get cracked in the mouth and fucking go down, I'd do it in 10 seconds. Fuck yeah, dude. Am I going to fucking knock anybody for doing it? Make your money, do your thing. It's fucking all entertainment anyway. Everything's fixed fucking these days anyway. Don't care. Hey, Jason, we got to wrap it up. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Jason Weeks. I'm also going to post links to your practice and any information about you. Happy New Year brother happy new year great catching up we covered a lot of ground there support the show if you can check out our man fuse gear that ben h has been working hard at please join the show by hitting us up at manfused.com 